keep your Bibles open as we uh, continue to look at this passage. We will also look at 2 Peter chapter 1, if you want to mark uh, 2 Peter chapter 1 as well. We'll flip over there in just a minute and catch a couple of verses in 2 Peter. Final words of encouragement. So, I didn't go back and look, but uh, today completes our verse-by-verse, word-by-word study through the book of Philippians, and uh, Paul has some closing words that we want to give careful attention to. And uh, before we do that, though, let's just pause for a moment and ask the Lord to help us today. Father, we bow before your presence, Lord. We love you. We give you praise and glory for who you are. We acknowledge that you are the God of all. And Father, we... We thank you, God, for the privilege and the opportunity we've had to lift our voices to you, to lift our thanks to you, to lift our praise to you. Now, Father, we we sit at your feet, Father. We come and we ask, God, that that we come hungry and thirsty and, and humbly. And as we come before your word, Lord, that that your spirit, Father, would, would powerfully speak and move. Father, Lord, there are, there are needs and, and there are requests and, and uh, there, there are things that we are aware of that burden our hearts and that there are things that we're not aware of that, that we need. Lord, your spirit, you, you know all things. And you richly supply all things. And so we just come trusting God that as we come before you and open our hearts and our minds and, and, and come desiring and seeking, Father, that, that you'll speak, as we sang earlier, that you'll speak, you'll speak clearly, you'll speak gracefully. And that, Lord, you will do the work that needs to be done. Lord, if if we could just see the work that needs to be done, and we would understand, Father, just really how desperately needy we are at this moment and how wonderfully, graciously sufficient you are. I join with Martin, as he prayed earlier, as he talked about the upcoming uh, wind-shaped camp, and we just want to pause and just specifically pray for about 200 kids that are coming with no church affiliation, which largely suggests no real understanding of truth and salvation and life. What a what a difference, Lord, it would make in this county with 200 born-again young students going back into their homes, shining the gospel light of Christ. 
So we just ask, God, that you would wonderfully, powerfully, supernaturally move this week in that camp and in the lives of all who attend. Bless us this morning, Father. Please, please, please move in our hearts. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, the letters of Paul to the churches, we call those epistles in the New Testament, but these letters of Paul to the churches, they're, they're much like any other letter that, that you might read, that you might receive in the mail, that someone might hand you. You find some, they, it, they have, just like any other letter, three basic parts. You have some opening remarks. You have the body of the letter that contains the main point or the main points. And then you have some closing remarks. It is, Philippians is a letter. And it's meant to be read by a specific local church, the church at Philippi. However, the letters of the New Testament are also inspired scripture, which make them unlike any other letter you might receive. Makes makes them something entirely different than other letters that we might read. So the Spirit of God guided the mind of the human author to write truth, to write universal, eternal Spirit-filled, gospel-centered truth in these letters. And so these letters that we have contained in the New Testament, they were written to one church, but they are for every church. And that's why we look to this and why we've studied through this letter word by word. It's for every church in every place for all time. I want you to look at a couple of verses in 2 Peter. Look with me in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verses 20 and 21. I just want to say something about divine, inspired, infallible, inerrant scripture spoken by God. 2 Peter chapter 1. Verses 20 and 21. So Peter writes, Knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So how do we get These words that were from God, but penned through human hands. How how did that happen? Well, that's what Peter's saying. Men spoke from God as they were carried by the Spirit. Now, I want you to flip over to chapter 3, 2 Peter chapter 3. And we're going to look at verses 15 and 16 to get really specific to... Paul, as a New Testament author. And so second, in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, he says, And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom 
given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction. Listen to this phrase. As they do the other scriptures. You see what Peter did there? He equated, he said, when Paul's writing about these spiritual things, he's writing scripture. Because he equated scripture with Paul's writings. He said, as they do with the other scriptures. So I just wanted you to see that. Let's go back to Philippians I just wanted you to see that the Holy Spirit of God moved upon men and that's how we have the scripture, the inspired, inerrant, infallible word of God before us. And that Paul, even even Peter writing about Paul, refers to Paul's letters at the level of scripture. These are scriptures. God is speaking through Paul. So yes, the New Testament letters are letters, but they are more than letters. They are divine scripture. They are God speaking to us through these words, with these words. So that means unlike other letters, unlike any other letter that you might read or receive... The opening and the closing remarks of other letters, sometimes they're just kind of fillers, right? I mean, before you write the body of the letter or the body of the email or whatever, you, or the body of the text or whatever you might, you've you got to say something to get it started, right? You don't just jump into the main point. So, so you've got you to open up somehow. And then when you get through talking, when you get through saying what you want to say, you've got to close it somehow. You've got to say something. So often the opening and the closing just kind of taking up space to make sure you open and close but that's not scripture these words are divinely inspired these words are scripture and therefore they are to be given careful attention just like the rest of scripture paul wasn't just filling up space here when he's when he's coming to the end of his letter he's not just saying i wonder what i can just toss in there i I gotta close i gotta stop you know, I'm running out of scroll here. I got to do something. So what, what can I say? No, that's not what he's doing. The believers at Philippi needed to hear these words. They needed to read these words of closing remarks. And that means so do we. We need to hear these words. So it begins, the the. the bringing this letter to an end, we'll we'll go back and we'll catch verse 19, a powerful promise. Paul leaves the church at Philippi with a powerful promise that will prompt them and motivate them and energize them to continue in the work and the service of the Lord. Paul says, and my, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. When Paul says, and my God, he, he's just got through talking about, he's just got through instructing the church at Philippi about what God is calling them to do. 
And so then he says in verse 19, and my God... So he's telling us that as as we as believers are pouring our lives, pouring into our lives all that that Paul has just instructed in chapter 1, 2, 3, and 4, as we are internalizing that and as, as we are pursuing those things in our lives, as we are living for the Lord, this is what the Lord's going to be doing. While we are doing this, God's going to be doing this. God will be supplying our needs. As we learn throughout just just kind of the big ideas through the book of Philippians. As we are pursuing Christ, as we learned in chapter 1. As we are pursuing unity through humility, as we saw in chapter 2. As we are directing our lives to eternity through the power of the gospel, as we saw in chapter 3. As we are replacing our anxiety with the peace and joy of God. As we're learning contentment and Christ. As we're becoming generous givers of all that God has given us in in chapter 4. As we are giving our lives to God and to please God. God will be sustaining us and keeping us and providing for us and upholding us and enabling us to continue to do what he's called us to do. God will continually be working in our lives, supplying every need that comes our way so that we can keep our eyes on the goal, so that we can keep running toward the prize. Now, specific to the immediate context of verse 19, which would be verses 14 through 18, as we are faithful to give of our resources to gospel ministry of our time, of our talent, of our lives, of our money, as we are faithful to give to the gospel, to give to the work of the Lord, to give to the name of Christ, God will be faithful to give his resources to us. As we give of what God has richly given us, God will be faithful. In in essence, God's going to always be restocking. He's always going to be refilling the inventory as we give and spend and go. God's always going to be freshly renewing, supplying, restoring And that, my friends, is a powerful, powerful promise. Paul says, and my God will supply every need of yours. Every need of yours. Now, Paul has been, in this last chapter, Paul has been thanking the church at Philippi for their monetary gift. They sent a financial gift to help meet his needs while he was in prison. And he spent some time thanking them for that, thanking for joining with him, for being a partner with him, for, for meeting his needs more than once. We looked at that passage last time. However, when he speaks, when he's talking, when he's referring about what God gives in return, he's talking about more than monetary need. He's talking about more than financial need. 
That would include that, but it's much more than that. Paul says, my God will supply every need. Every need. You see, the promise then here, if we understand, as we are spilling our lives, giving our lives, opening up our lives, opening up our hands, opening up our homes, opening up our hearts to the work of the Lord and giving, 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 then God promises that he's going to be faithful to supply every need we encounter along the way. Which if we understand that and trust that, then, then what that means is this promise enables us to live by faith. This promise enables us to be generous with what God has given, to, to trust him, to rely on him. If we will meet, if we will be about meeting genuine needs and, and gospel needs, and if, if we will live as worship to the Lord we can rest assured that God will be meeting our needs. As we meet the need of, of others, God will be meeting our needs to enable us to meet those needs. Now that should free us. This promise, this powerful promise, is, a, is something that should free us as believers, free us from worry, free us from being anxious about the future. It, it should free us to radically pursue the Lord, knowing that he's going to be faithful. He's going to fulfill his promise. He's not going to back up on his word. It should free us to be generous and sacrificial and, 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 and constantly storing up treasure in heaven, constantly giving. He says, Paul says, and my God will supply every need. You see, sometimes our need is financial. but Sometimes our need is spiritual. Sometimes our need is relational. Sometimes our need is emotional. Sometimes we need grace. Sometimes we need mercy. Sometimes we need courage. Sometimes we need the truth. Sometimes we need to be reminded of the, of the depths of the love of God for us. Sometimes we need a promise. Sometimes we just need to know the Lord to see him. Sometimes we need to be encouraged. Sometimes we need faith to just believe Sometimes we need strength to keep putting one foot in front of the other. The promise here means that God knows what we need. God knows every need. And he promises to supply it. As we go about giving our lives to God and his glory, he goes about supplying our every need. God not only knows what we need, God knows when we need it, and God is willing and able and promises to supply it. I heard this last week, I believe, when I was listening to a, uh, listening to a sermon. It's such a powerful truth. It, our, our, our issue with believing the promises of God is not that, it's not that we really question, is God able 
What we really question is, does God want to do that for me? Is God willing to do that for me? Does that promise include me? And I want to encourage you, if that's where you are, sometimes that's where I'm at. Yeah, I know God is able. I know God can do it. But the problem is, I don't think he's going to do it for me because it's, it's me. I'm the problem. But here's what Paul says. My God will supply every need of yours. Here it is. In Christ Jesus. That takes away the me. It's in Christ Jesus. If I'm in Christ, the scripture says all the promises of God are yes and amen for you in Christ. God's able. And yes, God wants to. God is willing. God promises even for you, even for me. Notice that Paul says, and my God will supply every need of ours. Sometimes we get our needs and our wants mixed up, don't we? We want something so bad, we make it a need. It seems like a need. We want a lot of things that God knows we don't need. We are convinced we need them. We are convinced it is a need. We are convinced we got to have it. But God knows we don't need it. It's not good for us in the long run. It's not healthy. It's, it, it won't increase our passion for God's glory. It might increase our passion for this world and self and whatever it might be. But God knows we don't really need that. And sometimes we get so dissatisfied, right? What was the big lesson of, of Philippians was contentment, right? Sometimes we get so dissatisfied with where we are and what God has given us and where our life is and everything going on around us. We're so discontent without realizing that God knows every single thing about us, every single circumstance about us, everything that's going on around us, and he is supplying every need we are right where God wants us to be if God were to supply all our wants we would lose focus on living for his glory sometimes that's the issue we're spending our lives for our wants instead of God's glory the wants get in the way of the treasure of heaven God is a faithful and good and wise father. He knows what we need. And it's often different. In fact, it's often the opposite of what we want. But as long as we know that God will supply our every need as we are living for him. Remember the connection there? And my God. As we are living for him, as long as we know God's going to supply every need, then we can be free to live for him with everything we've got. And we've got a lot. We've got a lot. We've got the Spirit of God. The Spirit of the living God resides within us as believers in Christ. 
The word of God is alive and active and powerful. Brothers and sisters in Christ who love and encourage us, God has given us. We have heaven. We have heaven as our eternal home. No matter how this life comes to an end, no matter what happens on our last day and our last breath, no matter the circumstance, we have heaven. We have salvation. God has reached down in grace and mercy and he has lifted us from our own doing. He has brought us from what we deserve. We have Jesus. We have a Savior. We have a Heavenly Father. We have so much to pursue God with a hot, white, Zeal. Paul says, and my God will supply every need of yours. Listen to this last phrase. According to his riches. Not according to mine. Not according to this world's. But according, God's going to supply my need according to his riches. His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus means that the life and the death and the resurrection of Christ has not only reconciled us to God, but because we are reconciled to the God of the universe, the creator and sustainer of all things, the eternal God before time, after time. That means that Christ in reconciling us to this God, this one true living triune God, that means the portals of glory are now open for God's rich grace to be lavished upon us abundantly and richly. His riches and glory, that's the true riches. We don't understand riches. We've got riches and wealth all messed up. Paul says he's going to supply our needs according to his riches. His riches are far, far above and, and more and more and more than our riches. There is nothing, there is nothing that doesn't belong to God. He created it all. He owns it all, both on heaven and on earth both material and immaterial, there, there is not a need we can possibly have. There is nothing that you can encounter in your life that God doesn't have an abundant storehouse of supply specifically designed to meet that need because he has it all. His riches in glory. That's what that's the that's the resource that he draws from to meet your need. It's not something little meager. It's not something that has to be rationed, right? If 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 you're going on a on a trip on a on a hike, a five day hike, and you take your food with you, you have to ration it to make sure God's not up in heaven. How can I ration this to make sure I'm gonna get? No, it's His riches and glory.
The good thing about Google is you can ask it for stuff that you don't know and it can tell you, right? Amen. So, I asked Google this week, who is the wealthiest person in the world? And it told me this guy's name, Bernard Arnault. According to Forbes, he has a fortune of $234.5 billion. Noted as the wealthiest man in the world, $234.5 billion. Think about this. If he woke up this morning and said, what can I do for the glory of God with $234.5 billion? I mean, you could take $1 billion and eradicate starvation for an entire nation. An entire nation. Just alleviate poverty and starvation. So, what could I do with $234.5 billion for the glory of God? Now, I can't get my little mind around that number. I can't understand that. Now, listen. All his wealth belongs to God. He belongs to God. It's all God's. If I can't imagine his wealth, how can we imagine God's wealth when it's described as his riches in glory? Now, can you think of a single thing that he can't meet? If we could take one man on earth and solve starvation, what can God do? You see, that frees us. That empowers us. God owns the world. God owns the universe. God owns the heavens. And he promises to supply every need of ours according to his riches and glory. That frees us to live radical, risky, sacrificial, supernaturally empowered lives for the kingdom. Whatever God calls us to do, go for it with everything we've got. Lay down our lives. Give wildly. Love God. Love others. Love one another be kind serve do good forgive put away talk and gossip and anger and slander and griping and bitterness and pride and habit and sin division wake up every day and, and fix our eyes on this one purpose how can I glorify God big today Because whatever I do and wherever I go and whatever I encounter, God will supply my need according to his riches and glory. And he's not going to be poor any time soon. And then when we do that every day, we can go to bed every night knowing this. God, whatever you have for me tomorrow, you will supply every need according to your riches and glory 
in Christ Jesus. And sometimes tomorrow will bring the greatest news you could, so unexpected and wonderful. And sometimes tomorrow will bring absolute devastation. But he never runs out. And so therefore, I've spent most of my time on point one, by the way. Therefore, we have a reason to praise. That's point number two. Verse 20. So Paul says, to, God, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Why did he just say that? Why did he erupt in praise? Because of what he just said in verse 19. Praise spontaneously erupts from our hearts to God when, when any one of these three things occur. Number one, when we behold God and see him. When we see him in the scripture, when we see him in creation, when we see him in Christ, when, when we see God and his majesty and glory, we cannot help but praise it's like, you know, the, the first time you go and stand at the Grand Canyon or, the first, or, or, or when you see a, a gorgeous sunset or a beautiful sunrise. You, you, just, you just stand there and you, you say things like, wow, that's amazing. That's gorgeous. That, you take pictures of it and post it because you want everybody else to see. That's amazing. That's, that's what praise is, right? Praise is posting to your account. So you see God, you behold God, and you praise him. That's amazing. God is amazing. The second thing, the second way praise erupts spontaneously from us is when we learn the ways of God. So not only when we, when we see his majesty and glory, but when we learn something about him, when we learn that he is good, when we learn that he is loving, when we learn that he is merciful and, and saving and, and sovereign, we praise him when we learn about him, the more we learn about him. And that's what heaven's going to be we're going to learn about God and praise him learn more about God and praise him learn more about we're going to see him and we're going to praise him we're going to see him and we're going to praise him now here's the third thing praise spontaneously erupts from us when we experience God when we experience that majesty and glory when we experience that mercy and grace in our life when God encounters us, when we taste and see that God is good, we can't help but praise him. When he saves us and we know we are nothing but a no good sinner, we praise him. When he proves faithful to his promises in our lives, we can't help but praise him. Listen to this. Paul is praising God in verse 20 because he has just experienced the promise of verse 19. So when Paul says, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus, he's writing from experience. 
because Paul has been giving his life for the gospel and he got put in prison for that. And he ended up with a lot of needs. And guess what? God moved on the church at Philippi, got the news to them, gave them a spirit of generosity, took up an offering for Paul, sent it by Epaphroditus, and Paul's needs was met by God. So Paul is rejoicing when Paul is saying, my God will supply your need according to his riches and glory. He's talking from experience. God's going to do this. Now, some of you are looking at, at me like you're upset with me. It's true. It's true. So if our praise, if our praise is little to none... Maybe it's because we're not experiencing the promise and power of God in our lives. And I don't know about you, but I want that. I want that. I need that. I pray to see God move in a miraculous way in my life. I want to be wherever God is moving and working and shaking and saving and restoring and transforming. I want, to, I want to be around that. I want to be in that. I want to see and I want to taste the goodness of God. The bigger he moves, the louder we praise. And then finally, we conclude with this. Greetings and grace Paul brings us down to his greetings in verses 21 and 22 Paul says greet every saint in Christ Jesus and I don't think Paul means here that when our paths cross as believers you know we're just to say what's up how's it going and we all do that I think what Paul means is when our paths cross make sure we fellowship and encourage one another Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. Listen to what he says here. The brothers who are, are with me greet you. All the saints greet you. Listen to this. Especially those of Caesar's household. Those are the new believers. Those are the brand new believers. Those are the ones who have come to faith in Christ because Paul has come to prison in Rome. Now, now everything starts to make sense, right? Now we know why God would allow Paul to be arrested for preaching the gospel. Now we know why Paul can be so joyful and content when he's suffering for doing good. He's on mission, even in prison, even in need. And what's happening is the Romans aren't used to being around people who are so content and joyful when life is so bitter. So some of those guards and some of those officials can't understand Paul. And he gets to say, you know what makes life so sweet, even in prison? Jesus. And he gets to talk about Jesus. 
And they start coming to Jesus. And all of a sudden, the very last thing that Caesar wanted or anticipated or expected is happening. People in his household are coming to faith. Because there's a suffering saint who's joyful in Jesus. Then Paul closes the letter by praying, and the last thing in verse 23 is grace. Paul says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. He's praying for the Lord's grace to be with him. Notice, flip back with me to chapter 1, Philippians chapter 1, verse 2. I'm going to make this point, then I'm going to close with an illustration. Philippians 1, 2, after after Paul says, hey, this is who's writing, verse 2, he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now go back with me, Philippians chapter 4, verse 23, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Notice that Paul opens the letter and he closes it the same way, praying for grace. Praying for God's enabling energy and power and strength and love. He opened and closed his letter the same way. You know why? Because if we're really going to live this life for Christ and keep our eyes on him and be completely different from the world, if we're going to live out the body of the letter, we're going to need a lot of what's in the opening and closing of the letter. We're going to need grace the whole way. We're going to need grace the whole way. It's going to take a lot of grace to be humble. It's going to take a lot of grace to live as Christ and see death as gain. It's going to take a lot of grace to give generously. It's going to take a lot of grace to not be anxious for anything. It's going to take a lot of grace to be content. We're going to need a lot of grace. But guess what God says? My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Have you ever watched a, or been around one of these huge, you know, earth-moving dump trucks when they, un, when they back up and unload their load of dirt or gravel or whatever it is? Every morning when you wake up and say, God... How can I live big for your glory today? You should hear. Beep, beep, beep. God has a ton of grace to get you where he wants you. To get me where he wants me. And I need every bit of it. Let's pray. 
Father in heaven, we thank you for this book. We thank you for these closing words of encouragement. Now we ask you, God, to help us apply them directly to our own lives. If we are in Christ Jesus, Lord, help us to understand what this life is about. Help us to understand our need of grace and your supply of grace. Direct us and call us. Help us to be renewed and refreshed and redirected today for you and your glory. To die to self and to live for Christ. To live is Christ. To die is gain. To be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and thanksgiving to God. To learn to be content in everything to have this mind in ourselves which was also in Christ Jesus, to know that we can do all things through him who strengthens us, resting in this final foundational promise that my God will supply all your every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So Father, whatever that next move is for us would you work it in our lives today if we are apart from christ god may we with all that is in us father fall at his feet and worship and embrace him as savior and lord have your perfect way in us in these next few sacred moments we ask in christ's name amen